me, it's like, how can I unlock the next potential growth to get to the next level? I just run through all the numbers in terms of, okay, what's our monthly financial projection? How much money have we got to total in the bank? Like, what's my net worth? And because I enjoy it, because it's fun, it's for me, it's like, it's the game and I'm inherently competitive. I'm trying to think more about like, okay, how can I serve people? Originally, I'm from Surrey in the UK, very gray and rainy. Uh, it's a nice place, but <clears throat> not particularly motivational. So I, I moved out here about a year ago. Um, and the interesting part of my backstory for most people is that five years ago, four and a half years ago, I was still a real estate agent working like a traditional 8.30 to 6.30. Um, I managed to skate the rat race hustle of that, like taking a lot of inspiration from people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone in terms of like set side business. And when that gets big enough, then sacking off your nine to five, which is an incredible experience. And then long story short, we scaled that, our fitness business, CJ Coaching to multiple seven figures a year. We've now set up a, a mastermind called Seven Figure Scaling Systems as well. And then last January, I moved out here to Dubai, which for me is um, it's been incredible because like the two biggest things that determine your success in life, I don't know if you agree, Reese, but it's like your partner because you spend most of your time with them. And the second thing is like your environment and where you're around. And for me, like every day I wake up, I look over Dubai Marina, like there's wealth everywhere, abundance, and it just creates that abundance mindset. Um, and also there's tons of other entrepreneurs here who are like like-minded and very driven. So coming from like a small place in the UK where people were small-minded, that, that had limiting beliefs. And now those limiting beliefs have been smashed every day when you see like five million pound car drive around and stupid stuff. Yeah, well, I think like we were just touching on that before we were starting rolling. Like it's one of those things you don't really know it's possible until you see it, until you can actually grasp it and like have it tangible, something that's there. And I think like in our industry, man, it's not very often that we see people get that tangible amount of success. So I can t definitely relate to or at least understand and appreciate why moving somewhere like that would definitely help. Yeah, it's just um, it open your, opens your eyes to what's possible. And there's also this always that constant inspiration around because sometimes when you're stuck in your environment, I think it's very easy to become stale and also be like big fish, small pond. So you can get that in a business aspect in terms of like you're the most successful person in your area, your county, country, whatever, in terms of your field. Uh, but then you come somewhere like Dubai and it's like, you're nothing. Like in my car park in my building, there's like Bugattis and stuff like that. And I'm like, I need, I've got a lot of work to do still. And it's yeah. uh, that you realize there's like levels to the game with everything. And I think that makes you more humble overall, I think. Of course, man. I think that's, um, I think there's lessons to be learned in all levels of that and all aspects. Do you think you were always someone that like saw success to be something that you were either entitled to deserved or that you would have? Uh, I always knew I, this is a funny story. I don't think I've ever said this. I remember being like 15 and putting on my dad's suits and like running around the house, like wanting to be like a business person. I think my mum caught me. It was quite embarrassing. But, <laughs> um, when I was younger, I always wanted to have my own business and do my own thing. And interestingly when i went into real estate when i was like 21 22 i felt like i failed because i didn't go to university and then i thought it almost ruined my life at one point in that because i had friends coming out and then they were thinking quote unquote good jobs and i felt bad in that respect and i remember at the time setting myself a goal of okay by the time i'm 30 years old i want to earn 100,000 pounds a year and then i fastest pizza that's very far surpassed that um pretty easily um, but it's interesting in terms of like the perspective you have in your brain at that like time and how like, for example, coming here then changes your beliefs in terms of your goals and like what you really want to achieve. I think for me, I always wanted to be successful, but I'm naturally very introverted. So I wouldn't outwardly say that because I was embarrassed and said people would say, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I think that's almost some what British culture. I think Australia is less like that. I think America is like the polar opposite. We're like in the US, which is why I love it over there. So people love if you, they'd rather you tried something and you failed and you never tried at all. Whereas in the UK, yeah. everyone's like, oh, stay, stay in your like steady nine to five job, if that makes sense. Play safe. Yeah. I think that's very much like that here in Australia as well. Like we're very, uh, you know, 
it's vastly accepted that we have something called tall poppy syndrome where everyone can just like never accept your success and just always shut you down like, oh, but it's only because of luck or only this. And always there's a bit of jealousy in play as well. But I think like I, I would like to just kind of touch on and give a little bit more of a, a limelight to what you said there. Um, if you very easily surpass that $100,000 uh, pound a, a year and you're in your first, what, six years of business still. And now we're talking... Yeah we're talking hundred thousand dollars a year has gone to, okay, now that looks like a normal couple of weeks. Um, let's talk about the contrast between those two, like of where your mindset was and what you thought was possible to now where you want to go. Uh, this is actually a really interesting topic and it's never something I really thought would become a problem and not problem. It's a good problem. It's like first world problems, right? Of course. But like it's just, <laughs> you're laughing because you know, it's real. Yeah. It's the same when you do your, I, I remember doing my first, like, 10k a month and at times working my full-time job and i paid for a holiday for me and my partner to go to dubai and i was like this is the best thing ever mm-hmm. and then i remember doing my first 50k month and my head fell off and then i remember the first time i did 250k i was like literally i almost felt a bit lost in terms of like what the fuck am i like what am i doing um like just almost confused and i think in some respects i still get to that now where it's almost you almost lose like relativity to normal life for normal people because suddenly you have the ability to pretty much do whatever you want whenever you want um yeah. and then it's almost more confusing because in some respects you're like okay i don't really need to work i can just if i wanted to go and sit on the beach all day and just work out or do whatever mm-hmm. uh, but that's when you know like you're really true to your values like i went for dinner actually with one of my business clients on saturday and he said like what drives you why why are you so aggressive with like scaling everything and two things i thought was like well a couple of things one like i have a massive fear of failure and like I'm more motivated by the stick than the carrot, if that makes sense. Cause I just right. don't want to go back because I remember like what the nine to five was like. So like so bad that on like my Trello board will have like my goals and everything mapped out. I have like a, a picture of a suit and tie remembering me, like just don't screw this up. Like you can, you can go back if this goes wrong. And the other thing is, I think it's almost like um, for me, this is a game. Like I love the game and it's all about constantly learning and building new stuff. And I, I don't know any other way other than to keep trying to grow because that's what I've done. So for me, it's like, how can I unlock the next potential and growth to get to the next level? Um, and for me, it's just fun. Like I see business as fun. And when you get to that point with like training your clients or building a business, that's when you become successful because you're not doing it for money. You're doing it because you have a huge passion for it. And that's when you will put your full like energy and like mental capacity into learning your skill and like becoming a master of your craft and then get to the next level. Yeah. Do you think there's like any points now that you still have that uh, not so much fear of failure, but almost that imposter syndrome that like you weren't meant for this. Uh, yeah. Sometimes uh, if we have a, when something bad happens, sometimes you're like, do I really need this? And yeah. then because like, stuff always goes wrong in business, right? Of course. We'll try not to swear. Um, oh, man, you can, that's fine. <laughs> your your shit always goes wrong in business and yeah. you always know, like there's always going to be a problem and the bigger yeah. the business gets, the more problems you have. And it just becomes, you have a life of problems sometimes, but for me, I think I still have that imposter syndrome. And also something interesting, I also have a lot of comparison syndrome sometimes. So like people will look up to me and then feel bad about that, that they're not where I am. But then I look at maybe not people in fitness, but people in other industries and think, oh shit, I've done like nothing. Like I need to push harder. I need to push harder. But I think that's a good tool to motivate you, but it's also something you need to control yourself. And I think one of the biggest things I've done with that is just trying to... um spend time my own thoughts and it's not something i ever thought i would do but i'd spend like 10 15 minutes listening to like motivational like meditation stuff when i first wake up outside mm-hmm. the balcony and um it just allows me time to just think about like okay what is it i want to do today why am i doing this and just really get control rather than what i have been in the past is just like a an all action relentless like wrecking ball like just non-stop which when you i think the bigger your business gets the more you need to like 
slow down and get control and become like and trying to like do everything all the time if that makes sense yeah what are some of the, the strategies you use at the moment to i guess create that slow down that time uh this is actually amazing i don't know where i got the idea from this so the best thing I do is on a Sunday morning, I will sit down outside my balcony again and I will literally, uh, I write goals for the week. Okay. So I write three business goals for the week. Um, so for example, I can, I've got, and I'll go through some notes. So I've got three business goals for the week and three personal goals. And then I'll also have goals for the month. In that time, I'll reflect, okay, what mm-hmm. did I do last week? Did I do it? Did I not? And these goals aren't like, I don't know, so like aren't necessarily like um, really basic goals in terms of like, oh, I need to post on Instagram. I need to make content. It has to be something specific that's going to really move the needle, not not work on the business, not work in the business. So like to give context, the three for the business for this week are uh, hire bus- like business coaching, uh, sales closer for a business mastermind, um, put some new processes to sell more tickets for our live event, which is in Dubai in February and 18th, if anyone wants to come, uh, and then setting up our LinkedIn ad system. So um, they're very specific in terms of things that can take us moving forwards. But what allows me to do is when I am mm. in the middle of the week and I'm like, oh, shit, I should go and do this. I'm like, no, just remember the three things you have to do. That other thing can then wait to next week. Because I think it's very easy as an entrepreneur to get um, red shiny object syndrome. You hear like one of your friends is doing something like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do TikTok as well. And like yeah. you just get dragged around in circles, which creates issues. So I think that's a huge one. Um, the second one for me is having a mentor. So I hired Craig Ballantyne in September, October. Um, and it's pretty expensive, not gonna lie, but he is known as world's most productive man. And he's helped me a lot in terms of almost being like a fatherly figure in my life. And also a lot of the time, like tell me to slow down and telling me what not to do rather than what to do, because I want to do everything yep. as we all do. And it's more like, I just need to have singularity focus. And the more I focus, the more I scale. Yeah. I think like there's lessons there, like, especially with that shiny object syndrome where we get so many distractions and like in a world where your attention span is being pulled every direction, like you mentioned TikTok there, like I think it's the popular thing that everyone thinks that they need to be there. But if you're getting a really good, like, uh, like a good cost of acquisition somewhere else, or you're getting good churn rate somewhere else and so on, like you don't need to, you need to focus down and double down on where you already have the audience. And that's something I've seen you do really, really well. Like it seems that Instagram's your your platform of preference. Is that true? Yeah, it's where I it's like my baby, it's where I started. Um I'm very that and probably LinkedIn. So we we do very well with LinkedIn because I'm quite well spoken for an English person and um I just come across quite well on that. But the big thing I think for me, which I would say Instagram is my baby in the original one, because that's the one I started with. I actually had my Instagram account disabled for a month in January last year. So if, if anyone talks about like the challenges of business and life, this was like the worst three days of my life in context, might not be so bad to anyone else. Um, like it literally was like a year and a week ago. So day one, I got divorced on like the Wednesday, Thursday, I had to clear out all my shit and basically give away my house in the UK. Um, and then Friday, five minutes before speaking on a podcast, my Instagram account got disabled and I was like, this is fun. Like my personal life and business yeah, life was imploding at the same time. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, that, that literally that that analogy of like when it rains it pours and i can't remember there was this saying i read at the time and it was like um it's not about waiting for the storm to pass it's learning to dance in the rain and that's why i just kept thinking in my head it was just like keep the got to keep the show going but like everything happens to you for a reason and that happened to me for a couple of reasons one i was probably starting to get a bit um not cocky but i felt like i was walking on water like everything i was doing just worked and then secondly it yep. just reaffirmed to me in terms of 
like we had diversified very heavily across different platforms because I always knew this day could come and didn't want to have like my entire business in like Mark Zuckerberg's hands. So um, we already had two Instagram accounts. We also had LinkedIn, which he did really well on. Um, and we had a couple other things we did. So I like, I worked out the math and I, okay, financially, we're still going to make profit even without that. So it's like, it, the world's not going to end. So mm-hmm. for me, I think that's, that's a key thing in terms of focusing on like diversifying, but also identifying the low hanging fruit. So like, there's a really good exercise called, um, I think it's not called a mind map, but something like that, where basically I did it the other week where say you write your goal as a question. So I say for my goal for our masterminds, get to hundred mastermind members. So I'll write that as a question. And then you write every single way you can achieve that goal down. And you literally like as many as you can think of. And I think I got to like 16, 17. Mm-hmm. But what you want to focus on when you're trying to grow your business is like, what's the low hanging fruit in terms of the easiest thing you can do first? And then address the mm-hmm. harder ones as you go. Because I think what most people do is they're like, oh, let's go to like cold paid advertising on YouTube or something that's really difficult into a webinar, like which is really complicated and difficult yeah. to get to work. And I think my easiest advice to people would be is like, focus on what works as you said, double down on it, blast that as much as you can, and then go to the next thing. Yeah, that's something that we used to do almost exactly within within Linestone and the business that we run here is like, we'd look at the lowest hanging fruit and we'd you know, essentially circle the three things each month. And then we would go implicate and, and do those things. Um, I've added another filter to it. I think it might actually, you know, might help help you in that aspect as well. We look at it from like a Venn diagram perspective, yep. right? So like on the left, you've got can do and on the right, you've got should do, right? And the cross populating point in the middle, can and should, that's write all the stuff down. So like, let's say you're, as you said, write it as a question, right? How can I make a hundred grand month, right? And then you look at everything you can do and everything you should do. And then you prioritize those, those things. Because what I found a lot of us when I had my team in here, we'd look at like, what can we do? Like, and we'd put so many things on this whiteboard but it's like, well, we shouldn't even bother with that. That's not a very big opportunity. We shouldn't bother here. And there's even other things that we should do, but we just simply can't. Like there were things on there, like they wanted to create uh, our own Apple watch or our own version of a digital asset. And like, so that people could track steps like, yeah, well, can we do that? Yeah, probably have the capital, but should we? No, like it's, there are other elements and other filters that we kind of run our, our decision-making through. And I think like, like you said, if you focus and even coming back to what you said before, have three business goals, three personal goals every week, then like put that filter on it. You can definitely take that very far. Yeah. And I think one of the easier things, like another thing I was talking about last year, I learned a lot last year from just being a bit of a weird place mentally. I was almost on the war path of like coming to Dubai. It's like, I'm going to fucking take over the world. I literally, I wrote on a whiteboard, 15 mm. different strategies, hired people for like outsource for like five, six different things, try to do everything at the same time. And it was probably the biggest Royal cock up I've ever made and cost me a load of money because like you can't do everything at one time. And also I was trying to do, yeah. more complicated stuff before I really needed to. Um, and now I really realize that inherently I'm actually quite a lazy person. So I look for the most efficient process now in terms of like, what's the easiest point way I can get from point A to point B and then just do that. Yep. Yeah. Let's, if you don't mind, man, run it back to like when you were first building this business and you know, the more so the coaching side, um, what was the skeleton that really got you to get some meat on the bones, to get some high end profits, to get, you know, the, the half a million dollar months? First thing from um, our side in terms of scaling it pretty heavily was focusing on higher price points. Now, I'm not, I sound like I'm slanging off the UK, but within British culture, we have a real fear about charging a lot for money and there couldn't be anything further the from the truth. And like the more you charge, the more you make and also the more profit you make. So say, for example, um, Let's say hypothetically your coaching program was 200 pounds and 
you had a team of coaches for you who, and you were paying them £100 to coach someone a month, for example. So you've got 50% profit margin on that. If you take your coaching program from 200 to 250 that extra £50 is pure profit. Go straight to the bottom line. You can cost you absolutely nothing extra. And this is where people go wrong. And I think it's a bit of a European mentality in terms of a race to the bottom of who can undercut each other. Whereas like mine's been like, I don't know if anyone's read the book, Blue Ocean Strategy is like, fuck this, I'm going to go to the top and just charge as much as possible because AI back our service and what we do. And also people perceive value and price. Like if something's really cheap, they'll be like, mm, why is this? Like, he's probably not that good. Whereas if someone's A, got money and the price is a lot, they're almost like intrigued in terms of like, this must be good because it's quite expensive. It's like you go to like a fancy yep. restaurant and you've got like the tiniest piece of steak in the world that's like $200. Like your perception is that it has to be good because of the price. And it's almost the same as coaching. Mm-hmm. So I say the easiest thing for most people is to try and push the pricing up. And also I'd say in terms of demographic of people you're trying to target, like realistically, I used to like training younger guys, early 20s, because they do whatever you say, they just want to get shredded for summer. Easy, great transformations. The reality is they're not going to pay you thousands of dollars for a coaching program for your time. So that's when you need to identify as like, what is the big thing you want to do with your business? Um, one of the things we did to scale very quickly at the start, which was, if I was to do it again, I would do it the other way around. I really pushed my business doing when it took off with a low ticket program. So we still have the program, people still buy it, um, called Shredinate. I mean, like a thousand people in these like eight-week challenges, and we were just churning out transformations and results and results and results. But the problem was, like, it was a lot of work, a lot of headaches, a lot of things would go wrong just because the volume involved. Like with complexity, with scale comes complexity. Um, and then what I the the real payday for me, and I noticed this was like we had a guy sign up. The eight week challenge was like one hundred and fifty pounds, so it's like two hundred dollars. And um, we had a guy who bought that twice, and then I sold him for a coaching program for nine thousand pounds. And I was like why am I coaching? Why are we coaching a thousand people on these eight week programs? And we can just get one person to pay the equivalent of like 400 of them. So I was like, yep. this is the way we need to go. And that big pivot just changed everything. Was that from a, what was like the time constraint to that for that $9,000 package? Uh, it's a year uh, and it's pounds. So that's like yeah. 12,000 US or something. It's like, um, yeah. And the next thing that really came with our business scaling was like, we were, I was selling all these people on the phone so at the point I like almost wanted to throw myself into the field next to my house because I was taking so many sales calls, like 30 a week. And it just, it, it gets to the point where you like don't want to book anymore in because I can't deal with anymore. Um, is I set up a, a sales call center in Mexico. So we have a team over there who take all of our um, fitness consultations. They take them for other fitness uh, uh, coaches. And this is the easiest way to like remove bottlenecks because the way I look at business is like you've got three points to the wheels. You've got lead, lead gen sales and fulfillment. Most people get stuck at point one, which is lead gen. And then when they get lead gen to work, they get stuck at sales because they can't get out sales calls. And then they can't actually build their business because they're just working in it. So as soon as you can unlock the sales, you've then basically got unlimited potential to grow because you just need to focus on lead gen again, manage and build the sales team, which is easier said than done, and then focus on fulfillment. Yep. And then once you have that cash flow, you can start to reinvest into the company, into the yeah. fulfillment, make the systems better. The compound effect of like the multiply then because you can just start like pouring you can just start leveraging other people's time with your money to then scale fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what point did you find that you needed to start outsourcing some of these things? Like what was the tip? I did point? this way too late. So like, again, this is where I talk from when, when like, when I was doing this, I was like, Oh man, there wasn't as much advice and knowledge around or as easily available. Like I didn't have them. I didn't know anyone I could go to necessarily straight away to pay to help me who'd done this before. So the first person I hired was a content creator because my big thing was like, talks about Gary V, um, Grant Cardone, 
inspiration is like omnipresence just be fucking everywhere at all times if they don't know you they can't buy from you right so it's like that's an easy way to think about it so that's the first thing i did i had maybe like 200 coaching clients 220 at one point and it was madness like just me doing it and um ironically on a plane on the way to dubai i actually hired my first uh, coach who's now our head coach jeremy and that's when i started to realize like ah this is how a business works it's like I just employ people to do the work for me, manage and oversee it, and I get paid off of their work, basically. Um, and then it just snowballed, really, from there, to be honest with you. And it's just identifying the right person at the right time to fill the right hole, to put... like I like looking at a business like a jigsaw puzzle, and it's like putting the right piece in the right time to complete the puzzle, whereas I think some people try and put like jump ahead and try and put in people too soon, or a lot of people, it's probably more of them, are too reluctant to invest when they need to. Mm-hmm. What got you? You said there's a, there's three levers that realistically that will make a business is either the acquisition, the sales, or the yeah. fulfillment. What allowed you to get the volume of acquisition that you did? Um, at the beginning, was doing more than everyone else. So like, I yep. was posting like I don't know, I post like seven thousand times or something on Instagram. I have to have a look something ludicrous like that. It's like I was posting three times a day on Instagram. I was doing at the time like Instagram lives every day. I do stories every day. Like anyone who knows me would say like the biggest thing about me is I'm relentless. Like I just don't stop. And because I enjoy it because it's fun. It's for me, it's like, it's the game and I'm inherently competitive. And I know that's not really very specific advice for anyone, but I think the biggest issue I see with people is they're inconsistent. They have one good month and then they get complacent and then they go sit on the beach in Dubai for two weeks and then the business falls back and they're like, Oh, I wonder what happened. I was like, "Mm." and even like the clients I coach, uh, or like even prospective like clients coming with us for like for business side of things, they're like, oh, it's really slow. And I look on their Instagram, like you posted three times in two weeks. I was like, you've got no Instagram stories up. I'm like, do you know the last time we didn't post in a day? I'm like the only time we did was when my account was disabled because we couldn't. Um, yeah. And I think that's the reality. It's just consistency. And then when it comes to content and what you put out there, my favorite saying is like making something that's educational with utility. So you teach something someone can actually use and implement. And like, holy shit, this works. This is Charlie's free stuff. It's like, I wonder what the paid stuff's like. And that's the same thing we've been doing from the business side of stuff. It's like on the Instagram for seven figure scaling systems, we just give away like value and like almost like internal guides of stuff just to like give stuff for free and that whole reciprocity thing that people will come back to us eventually. Yeah, man. I think that's something that, especially in our industry, there's so many people that are almost entitled to a, thing, to a point where like if they post X amount of times in a month, they, they quote unquote deserve more clients. And you've been now posting what five, six years, and you have you've missed three, four days. What a month was it? Uh, yeah, I think we were. Our account was disabled. We were disabled? Like three weeks. Okay, so in the space of however many years, you've only missed a month, and that was f- through no choice of your own. Uh, and now that's where you're getting that compound effect. I think that's something that a lot of the listeners at home need to take into consideration: is that that long tail of uh, of gratitude. Uh- and it does not come quick. And this is even the same thing with everything I do. Like YouTube videos. We, we do YouTube. We've got like 29,000 subscribers. I filmed one yesterday. We don't really make much money from it. Um, same as podcasts. Mm-hmm. Our podcast does pretty well. So we've got a fitness one called The Shredded Show. We've got a business one we have to get you on, Reese, which is coming soon, called the Financially Jacked and Physically Stacked podcast. It's a bit of a different name. Um, okay. And like for me, the game is like, I'm looking long-term. So I think macro, not micro. So I'm like, think 10 years ahead. It's like, I mean, it's brand building. It's like the bigger your brand is, the more people who know you, the more people can come to you, more people can buy you. So when you have a new offer, like when we started doing business coaching, a lot of trainers knew who I was. So it's been relatively easy for us to grow. But if I hadn't put in that groundwork yes. over the last three, four years, doing podcasts with hundreds of people, doing 
a thousand YouTube videos, like posting 7,000 times on Instagram, going to all these events, people wouldn't know where I am, who I am or what I've done. And that's where I think a lot of people they give up too soon. Like they post one video on YouTube or they do one podcast and they get no downloads. And it's like, there's a saying we've just hired a new coach Corby. And like he said the other day, and I, I'm going to rip it off of him. And it's like, um, you've got to suck before you can make a buck. Like you're going to be shit at the beginning. Like no one was great when they started. Like you become great with relentless hours and like being consistent with what you do. So don't expect to be like start day one and be at level 10 already. Yeah. With that being said, then what do you think is more important brand or the offer? Oh, that's a very good question. I can't say both, but I would say the brand is going to get them through the door. The offer is going to set close them, if that makes sense. So it's like, like you've got lots of say for example if you look at like quote quote influencers there's lots of those you can't make respectfully english saying haven't got a pot to piss in because they live off like brand deals and they don't really know how to run a business because uh, they haven't got an offer which is good yep. so the reality is like if your offer is really really good once you get people into it you'll basically acquire clients from the clients you have if you have a brand which is really well known if you create an offer which is reasonably good or is okay, you'll still get a lot of people into it because of your brand. So reality, you need to have a combination of both. But I think um, the, if you've got a crap offer, it's not going to work regardless of the brand, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're pushing the you're pushing the card up. Yeah, there. 100%. Like you, have to, you need a very, very good sales team to have a, to sell a shit offer. But, but even the problem you have that, if you've got a shit offer and you're good at selling it, is like the internal problems that then come with like payment disputes, people wanting refunds, like bad reviews, all that sort of stuff. It's just going to be a matter of course. It's just going to cause more stress and problems and damage your good brand on the long run. Yeah, so like the churn rate becomes a bit of an issue. Like the more people leave than you can sign. 100%. 100%. What's going on, everyone? Hope you're well. I won't keep you too long. I know you're hopefully enjoying the podcast. And if you are, let us know. It would be really greatly appreciated if you can jump on, give us a quick five-star review. You don't even need to stop listening to the show. Uh, if you're on Spotify, you can do it in less than 10 seconds. And um, it does help the show grow a lot. It helps us you know, get a bit of confirmation bias that we're doing the right thing. And just to say thank you, if you guys do do that, uh, we're going to be picking one person every month to guess what on the podcast that has shared, liked, comment, subscribed, and, and interacted with what we do. Big thank you. Let's get back to it. What's something that you've done in, in, in that regard then, like to reduce churn and to increase that LTV over time as much as possible? Um, so within the fitness business, the big thing we do for that is trying to create a more personal um, community environment. So like our coaches have calls with the clients. We do two group Zoom calls a week. We try and have it really interactive in the Facebook group. We're now like almost going on a CTO coaching world tour of training events. So we've got one in the UK in March. We're doing one in Marbella in May in Spain. And we're doing another one in Las Vegas and Nevada. And then I'm basically doing the same thing with our business mastermind. So a lot of the guys and girls are based here in Dubai. So we do like a, a monthly networking dinner. We have three live events a year. So one's in next month in February, one's in July in Vegas, and another one in uh, December, sorry, November in Dubai as well. And then I think the key thing is community and network. Because like for me, the biggest value I've had from masterminds hasn't actually been the people who run the masterminds. It's the being the people I've met during the masterminds who changed my life. Because it's like, the friendships I've had, the connections I've had, the network I've had, that it's really corny. I never really believed it. Like your network is your net worth is a very true saying because now I'm at the point where it's like, if I've got a problem and I don't know how to handle something or I need advice on something, I've got like specific people in different areas. I can ask like, what would you do in this situation? Has this happened to you before? How would you handle this? And that is almost as an entrepreneur, I think very reassuring because you don't feel like you're on your own. Yeah. And it's one of the, like, it's the most lonely journey you'll ever, you'll ever run is like being an entrepreneur that doing it yourself. I think 
I can I can attest to that massively. The first time I actually had to um, fire a staff member, I felt very, very alone, very like, I don't know what to do here. And if I didn't have like the mentors in place that I did that had done it, I would have probably, it would have been a far harder. It was, look, it sucked, but it would have been far harder. And it's interesting. I didn't really think like that until I spoke with one of our clients here the other week and she said she's never been so lonely. Like when I was she talked to her about joining the mastermind, that's one thing she wanted. And I was like, that's very interesting because I, I forget that, now I'm with a team and I've got other people to bounce ideas off. I think when you're a solopreneur, it is hard and it is difficult. And the mindset challenges you have at that point are different. And I think, again, having that support network around you is a big thing. And I think something that often gets confused is people think, yeah, I've got a support network. I've got my family. But like, yeah, they can support you emotionally with things, but they're not going to be able to give you business advice. And one of the most important things is like, has your mom and dad run an online fitness business? Probably not. Are they very successful business people and have a big business? If they have, then yeah, maybe you can you can seek some advice from them. But in the reality, like those people can sometimes do more harm than do good because they'll probably play very safe in some scenarios where sometimes you actually need to be more aggressive with handling situations. Probably like you fire an employee. Yeah, yeah. The limiting belief factor is, uh, I think it's one of the things that holds most people, especially in the fitness industry. I think it holds a lot of people back, a lot of opportunity. And I think you'd agree here. There's a, more than enough clients in the world to go around. And we don't necessarily need to compete as hard. We can learn to collaborate and get more advice and be open to it. But I think like, yeah, the the story we tell ourselves obviously becomes a little bit more true. 100%. I think that's, again, the biggest thing I would say is your business grows. It's like the most powerful tool is getting control of your own thoughts and feelings because you're going to have things within your business that are going to trigger you positively and negatively. And this is something like I have found a challenge to struggle with. It's like I have a dopamine addiction to like making money in sales. I know that's the case. So like I wake up and I'm like, how many sales have we made tonight? How many sales have we made tonight? And if it was bad, I'd be in a foul mood. If it's good, I'm like elated. And like yeah. controlling that emotion is very important because you can't be with your partner, you can't be with your team when you're constantly on a yo-yo and people don't know how to handle you or how you're going to be. Do you, is that something you still like now have to try and like kind of check yourself oh, 100%, out? 100% because that's a character trait for me. It's like, because I want to progress, if, I, if we're not doing well on one specific day, I think we're not progressing. Whereas again, I need to take context of like the macro in terms of like how far we've come and where we're at. And that's why I'm a big numbers guy. So it's like, if we've had a, a bad day, I'll be like, I just run through all the numbers in terms of, okay, what's our monthly financial projection? How much money have we got total in the bank? Like what's my net worth? And I'll just go through that and be like, everything's fine. Just don't stress. But I think as a business owner, to some respect, you should have an element of paranoia to some degree, but you have to be able to control it. If you haven't got a little bit of that, then you're probably not pushing hard enough or you might almost be getting a bit ignorant to some things that can go on because the world can change very quickly. We all saw that with obviously what happened with the virus thing a few years ago. And I think just playing smart and being very hyper aware is very important. Again, it comes down to your network because two eyes are better than one. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that paranoia thing there, I think that's actually something that a lot of people get scared of. They get, um, they start to back away from it, like getting, I guess, stressing too much. And obviously then the friends, the family saying like, oh no, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. But something that I say to all my clients that I coach is like, you need to, you need to have a, a, a what if button. Like what if everything fucking goes wrong? What are you going to do? Not just like, I'm going to make more money. Like how, how are you going to do it? What's the plan? Because like there needs to be some sort of contingency, not a backup plan to do a new business, but how are you going to make this business last the test of time? I think in a lot of respects, if you have a coaching business, it's almost, if you've got big teams, stuff like that, it's almost easier because like, okay, worst case scenario, shit is a fan. I was a coach over myself. We've got no overheads. There you go. But I think the reality is people just need to 
I said, play safer. And one of the best things anyone can do in business is what's called a SWOT analysis. So strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. One of the big threats, like I said earlier, is um, these big tech companies screwing you over. So your Instagram account is disabled. You get banned from running Facebook ads and that might be your only lead source, which is why like, yes, people say um, one avatar, one funnel, one traffic source. That's all well and good until like someone comes along and bans your ad account and you can't run Facebook ads or your main social media channel gets like discontinued. So it's, or even like, which has happened to a degree with Instagram, I'd say Instagram is less powerful than it used to be four or five years ago because the reach has gone down. So you have to play smart and keep your eyes open and play like play the field in front of you. If you were like playing rugby, for example, you're like watching what's going on in front of you, not thinking like not being complacent. Cause I think we're almost on a ever like spinning plate and you just have to think about which way is the plate going to tilt and how am I going to stay in the middle of it? If that makes sense. Yeah. So for those people that are like, say using like paid advertising uh, models, do you think it's worthwhile testing other avatars, other, you know, I guess, funnels to a lower degree, like with a lower budget to test and see if you ever needed to pull that trigger, if you could. hundred uh, percent. So one of our, um, not even just pulling the trigger, but one of the things you find with paid advertising, cause we run quite a lot of ads is that they can scale to a certain point. And then when you try to scale them more, it almost just falls apart. So the more you can almost diversify strategies, I think the better you're going to do with that just generally across the board. And that's why, for me, I've never been a particular fan. Like, I think one of the biggest mistakes, in my personal opinion, people make is being super niche. So, like, see, we'll be like, I only mm. coach mums who are 32 to 33 and they've got yeah. four kids and they're vegans and they like doing handstands. Like, you, dude, I agree. Like, just coach, like, think about the audience. How big is your audience? Probably pretty small. How many people mm-hmm. fit that audience? Mm-hmm. If you have a broad audience, you can help more people, you will get more customers, which is why I reckon, yeah. like, we coach men and women because we have. of our clients are women. Yeah, I'm a dude, but we also have female coaches who are attractive and really good shape. And then therefore we can fulfill those clients. We also do, like I have some guys who I do comp prep with because they ask for it. Like you're here to serve your clients and their needs. I think being hyper-specific in particular at the beginning is complete madness. Yeah, see, and this is, I think there's a big caveat to that, especially in the beginning, Mm. right? And I completely agree. I say to all all the clients that I work with is like, Man, like, because they read a book, it's like, oh, I need to niche. I need to be specific. It's like, dude, where are you getting this cash flow? Like, how the fuck are you paying for anything if you can't be broad? And I think so many people just like, they they kind of bite that bullet way too quick. Like, well, I need to be that. And, you know, I think we're kind of done with that phase of uh, Instagram handles where like, you know, the bio says, I'm a coach who X. Like, I think we're done with that. And it doesn't help many businesses actually get anything out of, you know, scale. 100%. And like, one of the things you got to look at is like, what's the total adjustable market? It's like, how big is the market for people doing that? Okay, if we just look at general weight loss for people 30 to 50, pretty big demographic, pretty much like mm. probably men alone, 100 million in the US. There's a big enough audience there, right? Yep. So it's like, whereas if you're being hyper-specific in terms of I only help volleyball players over 30 or women, like you're probably going to struggle. Um, the, the only yeah. exception I would maybe say to something having a very specific niche is if you were running paid traffic, because yes, then you can target people. But at the beginning, you're not going to be doing that and it's going to be organic and warm. Therefore, you've almost got to take mm-hmm. what you get yeah how do you like is there anything that you found over the time that like you've been able to actually like warm up an audience easier or faster um i would say and this is probably i actually would put my hand up and say something i've not done well recently because of instagram algorithm is talking more in your stories and put your personality across more because even like um Mm -hmm. i work with a supplement company here called bionic really really good to make custom supplements for your blood work um and i had a meeting with the, the ceo the other day and he was like 
everyone is shocked how nice you are and intelligent and articulate in person. But like on social media, you come across as a bit of a dick or like from the outside, just the way you look and who you are and stuff. And I was like, hey, I was like, that's fine. But he's like, it's good because it makes you stand out. But I think mm-hmm. one of the ways to get your personality across is the way you speak and the way you talk, which is why I love podcasts because people can see you're not just a jack dude who has abs and lives in penthouse in Dubai. Like you actually have something about yeah. you. And that's for me is... The fitness industry is a dime a dozen with people in good shape, respectively. That doesn't really mean anything. What, what's going to set you apart from the others is okay. your brain, your personality, who you are, how you can empower and help people. And then like your ability to actually get results with the end client because anyone like there's loads of people are in shape. There's loads of really bad trainers. So it's trying to think more about like, okay, how can I serve people? How can I make them feel good and make them relatable to me and see that I'm not like superhuman in my life, not perfect. I think more people buy into it, which is why I like long form podcasts, YouTube and stuff like that. Cause it's just great for warming people up to you. Yeah. It's such an easy way to use like owned media. Yeah. Like you can, you can earn the respect of people earn the trust. And also with this, like there. you don't have to, you can say whatever you like and you also don't have to worry about like Instagram, yeah. or, like fucking someone taking your podcast down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yours. You can put it where you want and you can repurpose mm-hmm. it too. This is one of the things that I tell all my clients too, like repurposing content, like shoot it once, cut it up seven times and put it in every avenue that you can and become omnipresent as you mentioned before. And I think like a lot of people in the content world, especially in our, our industry, they try, but they, they don't cover all bases. Uh, and it, it, it leaves a lot on the table. hundred percent. I think the long form stuff is where the value, you actually asked me earlier in terms of client retention, I'd actually say on oh, my fitness podcast has probably been one of the best client retention tools because what happens? All my fitness clients listen to it. Mm. So they hear me talking all the time. They hear the way I think. They hear the troubles I might have. And then they start to buy into you even more. So I'd even say, even if you just think about it as not even an acquisition tool for clients, but just a way to get um, your clients to like, like and know you more, you're speaking to hundreds of people at one time. And also what I love with podcasts and YouTube is from day one, when you post it, it's only going to get more downloads and listens. Like this podcast we're doing right now is going to sit on the yeah. internet when we're both dead. And it's really morbid, but like that, yeah. that's the reality of it, right? Someone will still be listening to it when we're no longer in the world, which I personally think is quite yeah. cool. And also, even if you think, say you've got kids, have you got kids, Reese? No, okay. I don't. So like when we're, either of us are fortunate enough to have children or if you have children listening to this, like think how cool it is your son or daughter will be able to go back and listen to you talk like when you're 32 or 33 about how you talk about business, how you are with your mind, like the problems you're having in life. And when you start to think about that, it's quite cool even from just documenting your life and leaving a like uh, a dynasty for your children to like think, oh, that was my granddad, that was my great granddad, whatever. Yeah, and it's it's really powerful. Like even if like we, that's really close to home and that's like, uh, it gives people a bit of purpose to do it. But if we look at just like a nurturing sequence, like what you mentioned there is like trying to just warm people up. What, what we do is we've got a Discord community for all of our clients and each, each week we, um, we notify them, right? Um, we notify them very easily that this is a new podcast. Here yeah. it is. Go watch it. Here you go. Yeah, that's something I see happens a lot. I think a big issue with that is just people are reluctant to try new things. I think Discord is a good, good, um, good platform to be doing that on. Yeah, well, it just allows it allows us the the automation to actually like one plug people in um, and go cool. Like we can we can notify the channel like, hey, here's this week's podcast. Here's the clip of the week. Uh, let us know what you think. Create that discussion. Create that community. See like minded individuals, and it allows us to then like we can plug bots in to be like commenting on it, thinking like making it look like there's more people interacting. It creates that cult mentality where they all interact. It is a question. Can you control the narrative on Discord? So if there's stuff. Like, you know how like Facebook groups, you can approve posts or disapprove posts. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. There's a so there's a rule section yeah. so you can put like a rules and like uh, essentially hope that people abide by, the, by those rules. Uh, we've got a pretty strict kick policy, so if they just don't abide the, by those rules, our ops manager will just manager will just get them out. Okay, no, that's that's definitely a great piece of advice. Um, and then it's and and then it's a conversation for the respective coach to have with that client. Hey, you broke the rules. This is why he kicked you out. Like you need to stop that. And we have that discussion. We're very open to have that those hard conversations pretty easily. What do you a question for you? What do you think is biggest change that's happened with online fitness coaching in the last 12 months and like the biggest challenge people are having? Oh man, the one that I see that all the businesses that come to me is creating community. Like we're an on, like in an online business where like I look at it for like, you might, you might've heard this, this thought process before, but I look at value propositions as either you target the head, the heart, the gut or the genitals. Um, and when we look at head, you educate them, heart, you create community, warm love, fuzzy feelings and so on. Gut, you give them so much value that they can never be full. Um, so that, sorry that they're always full and the genitals you hit status plays. So price needs to be high exclusivity, etc. Right. I think the hardest thing to gain there is that, that heart aspect and community now, like, yeah, the last couple of years, everyone got pushed into an online model by, by no choice, right? We were already there. We were already online, but so many fitness businesses had to pivot there and they had no opportunity to figure out. And like, we're still trying to figure out how to create culture and community in an online world where now everyone craves that interactivity because we've missed out on it for so long. I think I see it to be a big problem. Yeah. I think this is something some people have an advantage on. So I'm going to use an example. Um, great friend of mine, Frank Denblanken probably has the biggest online fitness business in the world. Does like 20 million a year or something retarded, uh, only in the Netherlands, which is interesting. Now Frank mm -hmm. teaches on a mastermind, yeah. super clever guy. And, um, what's interesting that he does really well, which I think is why his retention is so high. He's got a massive home gym. He does multiple times a year, like training camps in his house and stuff in the Netherlands because everyone's like, mm -hmm. his entire audience is like within like two, three hours drive from him. Comparatively, yeah. I live in Dubai now. Our demographic is mainly US, Canada, UK, Ireland, Dubai, and some in Australia. For me to do in-person events, although we're doing a few, is very difficult because we're doing three internationally this year, but still people have to fly in from everywhere. So I think if, for example, you're in Australia, obviously Australia is a massive country, but if you have the ability to do in-person events, I think that's the most powerful thing. So even like here, I'll invite some of like, that's why my camera keeps turning off. I'll invite some of my clients oh, yeah. to come and train with me. And for me, that's one of the best things I know as a tool, because once they come and train with me, I know they're never going to leave. Yeah, well, that's it. Like where, where I am at the moment is upstairs of, we've created a private gym. Um, and this is like completely private. We don't even have clients that are paying us on a week, on a weekly or regular basis. They're not coming in here, but we do have scheduled events across the whole calendar year of like seminars, training camps, et cetera. Um, and we've kitted out downstairs and we've made it something that's like very exclusive. We've hit that status play very hard because no one can come in unless we say so. Um, and we've made it like, we've got the best equipment. We've got Watson stuff. We've got prime stuff. We've got Chris Bumstead up on the wall. Um, it's a very cool, cool place, right? And that's something that we're really trying to leverage with community is we've got like little events on our schedule and we released like at the start of January, we did like a, um, almost like a calendar launch. So what's to come for the year. And we've got a couple of secret events, like, you know, we're only going to announce this X amount of time out, but there's scheduled events where they can see where they can come into the gym or when they are potentially going to have a retreat and, and all this other stuff that to create that community, because it's the thing that we just, we, we can't find any other way other than hit that in-person stuff. And I, I was actually fanboying looking, I think your social media looking at this. I was like, that's fucking dope. I didn't realize it was completely like private like that. So that's, that's really, really cool. Yeah. It's for, for it's the whole purpose was uh, for myself and my staff to create content 
and it's just our, our content content studio like we've got i reckon we've probably got like more more uh more tripods down there than pieces of equipment but it works it's a it's a smart thing i think like i actually spoke to him about this yesterday it's like if i had the ability to do that here i probably would do but i don't have they wouldn't work so well because we're so spread out across the world it's very very difficult in that respect mm-hmm. but i think it's if you have the ability to do that i think that's genius yeah, it's definitely like it's added that little bit of difference for us as well. You 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 asked you posed a question to me about what what are some of the bigger issues that I see in fitness businesses. What are some of the ones that you see? You're obviously working with a large scale of fitness businesses across the world now. What are the most common issues that people have? And I'll and I'll preface this question for a reason simply because so many people in our industry think their problems are unique, and they think that they're going through it alone. The the biggest issues I see is people are still trying to do the same stuff that maybe used to work in like 2019, 2020 um that no longer mm-hmm. work so actually interestingly i talked earlier about how i haven't been talking enough on my instagram stories so my camera keeps turning off um, and the reason for that is that my um reach on my instagram stories plummets the more stories i post so i know from a g- mm-hmm. business point of view if i only post one or two stories and the first story is super engaging i get shit tons of uh, reach and engagement um, on my stories so therefore me actually posting more means my content gets shown to less people so i think this is a huge thing that people yep. need to be aware of it's like okay you can make tons of content but sometimes it can actually be detrimental now which is a really important thing to have uh, to, to be aware of is that something you see yeah i see also like um i think like i would also say throw out the call to actions on stories like any any time that like i can just say this anecdotally i've done a little bit of reading on it but like Anytime we do like a call to action of click this link where we're taking people away from the platform and it's not a monetized click, it just doesn't work. Like Instagram will then just plummet your engagement, plummet your reach and it doesn't go anywhere. So what I've found a little bit of success in is like we will say like maybe what our offer is, what all X amount of clients we're taking, link is in our bio, go check it um, and we give them a reason to do it. So like create like a HVCO, so high value converting offer, give them a reason to click, give them a reason to go somewhere and then bank on the fact that you've got enough nurturing sequences or if you have a good CRM in the back end, you have enough touch points that they will be encouraged to book a call when they need to. Yeah, and I think one of the things people need to be aware of is if you think about how social media works, they want to keep people on the platform. If you're posting URL links for your favorite supplement company or whatever, that's going to like completely slash your reach and mean less people are going to see your stuff, which is obviously going to be more detriment. So the best thing I suggest for people in terms of generating leads is get them to message into your inbox and then you can send people leads mm. from there as a very easy, uh, sorry, links from there. Yeah, I fully agree. What's some of the things like if we look at just like to kind of give some people some tangible take-homes at the back end of this episode, what are some of the opportunities you see moving in from like 2023 into 2025 that people could kind of take advantage on to scale their business to that first seven figures? Um, for the first seven figures, I would say the first thing is looking at, and this is a big thing we're doing a lot of at the moment and I referred to earlier is giving away guides and things for free. So for example, I'm going to go and train a back workout after this, right? So I could film an exercise, put it on my story and be like, what my free V taper back workout, um, message me lats and I'll send you a free copy. They then message, we then yep. send them the free guide. We then got them into a conversation. We'll then try and ask them about the goals, get them into a conversation and try and get them into a consultation call. So that's touch point one. Touch mm-hmm. point two is they, they want the guides. They click the link, they opt into a funnel. The second page then tries to get them book a call. Uh, if that fails, they also then get the guide on an email. So on the email, there's also a link to try and get them to book a call. And that also gets them into the Facebook group, which again, when they join the Facebook group, someone will try and message them to get them into a call. So it's like, if you have a lead, it's trying to get them across multiple different ways into the end result you want, not just like 
a one try and give up, which is again, almost referring to what I was talking about earlier, being like relentless with your pursuit of what you're doing. So the big thing that like I'm trying to focus on, I teach people at the moment to focus on is just give value all the time. And like the guides and stuff you give don't have to be complicated. Like the most popular one I have is literally a Google document of my diet when I competed last year. So it'd be like a 2,200 calorie shredding diet, for example. It's literally like six meals written out in a Google doc and we just send them a, like send them the link for that. Um, so I'd say that's a big one. Second one I'd say is um, diversifying platforms is a huge, particularly if you look how Instagram is performing now to 12 months ago. I think they'll get Instagram back to where it was because Facebook and Instagram has more money than TikTok. I personally don't, I just don't like TikTok. Even though we've got 125,000 followers, we use it, but we don't, I don't pay any attention there. We just post stuff. Um, and then yeah. I think the big platform, a lot of people miss out on is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, a lot of people think doesn't work and it doesn't work because you don't know how to get it to work. So that's like one of our big claims to fame is like, from a LinkedIn profile, you should be able to make 10 to 20K a month pretty easily um, if you know what you're doing because the avatar of client on LinkedIn, the average user earns like 150 grand a year. So the price objection isn't a problem. And if we look at the fastest way to scale your business is selling higher ticket items rather than mass volume. So if you go down that approach, that's a really easy way to scale. One of the key components we use and I'd recommend people do. And again, we're creating that like diversity factor coming away from just the one lead flow source, which is a very dangerous game to play. Yep. Man, I think that sums it up very well. Uh, I'd like you to kind of wrap us up. Where can people find you? What if, what have you got going on in your world? And uh, uh, just give yourself a big plug, man. Because right. I appreciate you. it. I'm going to have to get you on our podcast. Uh, so I'm going really to enjoy it. come to Dubai and do a podcast in the studio. Um, Absolutely. So we have an in-person event about scaling businesses in fitness February 18th in Dubai. So if anyone would like to come to that, message me a message. Drop me a message on my main Instagram at Charlie Johnson Fitness and I can send you over the details. We also have our business mastermind. So we share a lot of short form business tips on that, a bit like Alex Hormozy, but specific to fitness called Seven Figure Scaling Systems with seven in letters. Um, we've also got our own podcast, The Shredded Show, which is more fitness based. And we're about to launch um, the Financial Jacked and Physically Stacked podcast, which is literally going to be very similar to Reese's in terms of like me just talking about business tips, mindset, uh, and what it takes to grow your business to the next level. And basically, things that I'm learning every day, every week, and then just sharing that to the world, place to document it. So, uh, check us out there guys also on linkedin as well probably any f platform you can think of you type charlie johnson fitness will come up youtube tiktok but uh yeah 